can I strongly encourage you to open your Bibles here to Matthew 25 uh, and follow along with me. We're going to look at both this chapter and a wee bit of the chapter prior, uh, just to help us understand this a little bit more. So let me pray uh, as you do that. Heavenly Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the riches of your word. Speak to us that our understanding and our love for Jesus might abound. And may your Holy Spirit ever be our guide. For we pray it in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Amen. Look, if you have your Bibles open, uh, it, it will be helpful. Our, our passage here in verse 14 of 25, it, it begins with this phrase, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Now, we must understand then what Jesus means by the word it before we go any further. And actually, if you look back in, in your Bibles in front of you there to the start of this chapter, verses 1 to 13 give another parable concerning 10 virgins. And Jesus begins that story by saying, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so here then in verse 14, we see Jesus says, again, it will be like so, very clearly, just so we're all on the same page, Jesus is talking then about the kingdom of heaven. But notice in verse 1, he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. So another important question, what time is he speaking about? Well, to find the answer to that question, we need to go back into chapter 24. And when we do that, what we see is that Jesus is speaking about the end times generally. And if you look at chapter 24, verse 30, Jesus says this, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So we know from that then that Jesus is speaking about his own glorious return, isn't he? He is that Son of Man. This phrase that is used in the book of Daniel to talk about the one who will come on the clouds. So this parable today that we're looking at, the parable of the talents, this is Jesus telling us something about the kingdom of heaven at the precise moment when he returns. And actually what we'll see here, folks, is that both this parable and the one before it focus entirely on how we are supposed to wait for that moment to come. How are we to wait for Jesus to return from the heavens? Folks, one day, Jesus is coming back. That much is abundantly clear from our Bibles. And the question we're supposed to have in our minds here as we read Matthew 25 is, how do we wait well for this to take place? Because let's face it, it's pretty easy to forget about, is it not? It's easy to set it aside. It's easy to just fall into that trap of thinking only about this lifetime, about the here and now, because our lives are so busy. 
Our lives are so demanding. They're so jam-packed. They're filled with all kinds of ups and downs, highs and lows, joys and stresses and pains. Folks, let me ask you personally, is your busyness affecting your relationship with Jesus? I wonder at times, are you too preoccupied with the many things that we've got going on in our lives to ever actually sort of stop and consider Christ? Would you say you're waiting well for his return? These are the questions that we ought to have in our minds as we're reading this passage. Now, you'll be familiar with this passage, the parable of the talents. I would love you, though, to almost set aside everything you think you know about this passage as we look at this again with fresh eyes. It is commonly known as the parable of talents, and in fact, in your pew Bibles there, those are NIV Bibles written in 1984. They will be entitled in this section, the parable of the talents. If, however, you were to go to Faith Mission or wherever you might buy a Bible, and buy the new updated NIV, which was done in 2011, and you turn to Matthew 25, verse 14, you would see a different title altogether. It's no longer in the NIV called the parable of the talents. In fact, it's called the parable of the bags of gold. And it was originally called the parable of the talents because it has this Greek word in this passage that you'll see in your Bibles there is uh, translated as talent. And actually the Greek word is talenton, talenton. And that's simply why it's translated as talent because it's similar. And we of course know in the English language that the word talent, it makes us think of what we're good at, our talents and our abilities. Maybe some of you are good at cooking, maybe some of you are good at football or running or whatever the case might be. But actually the word talenton in Greek has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It is in fact a weight of measurement, particularly used in measuring money. So this story is literally about bags of money. And so another key question that we need to ask then straight away is how much money are we talking about? Now again, if you look in your Bibles there at verse 15, you'll see that the word talent has a little footnote above it, a little letter A, and if you drop down to the bottom of the page, you'll see that there is an explanation of that footnote, and it tells you that a talent is worth several hundred pounds, several hundred pounds. Now again, if you were to go to the bookshop and buy the updated NIV 2011, and you opened that up, and you looked at that footnote, you would actually see that that footnote has changed. It has been updated as well, because a talent is not worth several hundred pounds. In fact, it's worth roughly about 20 years wages. 20 years wages. So if these bags are filled with silver coins, which in biblical times would have been called denarii, if they're filled with these silver coins worth 20 years wages, we're looking at roughly between half a million and a million pounds each. Each bag has up to potentially a million pounds in them. That's what we're looking at. This is a huge amount of money. So this is a story about a very, very wealthy man 
who's going on a very, very long trip away, and he's leaving literally millions of pounds in the hands of his three servants. Now, we also need to be aware of something else. The word servant that's used here is actually not the word servant. It's the word doulos in Greek, which only ever means slave, never means servant, always means slave. So anytime we see the word servant used here, Jesus is talking about a slave. And that is important to know because we need to understand this is not talking about a servant who is a hired employee, someone who had rights, someone who could leave their contract of employment whenever they wanted. This was a slave who was owned by their master. Now, I want to be very clear here. Jesus is not endorsing slavery in any way by saying this. He's merely using a commonly known practice at that time to illustrate a point. He does this again and again in his parables. So in the previous chapter, he describes how his return is going to be sudden and surprising, just like what? Like a thief who comes in the night. But of course, Jesus is not endorsing burglary by any stretch of the imagination. We would never assume that, nor here is he endorsing slavery. He is simply using something that we can grasp, that we can understand to convey a point. Now, we also need to know something about slavery in biblical times. It wasn't just people who had been captured and then forced to do manual labor. Often what led people into slavery in biblical times was personal hardship. So someone may well have been a very well-educated person, may have had their own business, may have even been very successful in that business, but because of personal issues, maybe even things beyond their control, they find themselves bankrupt and they don't know what to do and they maybe owe debts. And the only way to pay those debts was to say, look, I'll be your slave. I will work for you for no pay whatsoever and I'll kind of pay off my debt that way. That was often the case. And what that means is important. What that means is these slaves in this story were not like uneducated people who had been captured when they were maybe children, never seeing education and just dumped in to do hard labor. No, no, no. These men were skilled employees once upon a time who were now paying off debts and they were actually more like business managers. And that's what's happening in this story. A wealthy man goes on a journey. He leaves his millions of pounds in the hands of three well-educated and skilled slaves. And we quickly then see, don't we, that two of them invest wisely. They know what they're doing. So what they do is they look for local businesses that are functioning well, and they inject cash into those businesses. And because of the amount of money, remember, in these bags, this was not like, you know, you just turn up to one wee business and hand over all of that money. Of course not. They would have been looking for businesses far and wide, injecting a bit of money here, money here, money there, and then maintaining all of that, managing all of that, making sure that the portfolio was coming together nicely and growing and growing and growing in size. So lots of time and care and work and diligence 
was required. And as we see in this story, before long, the businesses grew. Their investment doubled. The third slave, though, he went a totally different path, didn't he? He's lazy, and he can't be bothered, and he doesn't want to take any risk that his investments will fail or flop. So what does he do? He digs a hole, he hides the money, he buries it back up with the soil, and just tramples it down, and he basically goes on just living his life, ignoring that until his master returns. Verse 19, it inevitably comes, doesn't it? The master, he returns from his long journey. And he wants to know, what have you done with my money? Of course, the first two slaves have done really well. The master, he is delighted with them. And notice verses 21 and 23, they're identical. Every single word. He says to them both, the one with the five who makes another five, the one with the two who makes another two, well done, good and faithful servant, You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. There's a generosity here, isn't there? There's an abundant graciousness about this master. It's wonderful language. Firstly, they're declared as good and faithful. I declare you that you are good and you are faithful. They've served their master's wishes. They've obeyed his command. They've produced fruit from their labor. Secondly, the master invites them then to share with him in the spoils. He's generous. He abundantly says, come share with me in my happiness. He rewards them for their work. And thirdly, and this is really mind-blowing, he says, you've been faithful with a few things, but I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Folks, remember how much money these people have been given? Millions of pounds here. And Jesus says, that's but a few things in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to put you in charge of so much that it's going to blow your mind. How much could that possibly be? This is about the kingdom of heaven, remember. Jesus says in this parable, the good and faithful servants of the Lord here in this earth, those who look after the few things that God has given you, well, actually, you will be rewarded well with responsibility over many, many things in the kingdom that is yet to come, more than you can possibly imagine. So folks, bringing this back to us then, how are we, I wonder, using what God has given us here and now to build his kingdom on earth? How can we be like the first two slaves who invest well and actually improve their master's resources? Perhaps we need to start by asking ourselves a a, a different question. What has the Lord equipped me with that I can use for his glory? And we all can answer this question somehow. We all can look inward at this point. What skills 
or talents, or maybe money, earthly resources, or intelligence of mind, or influence, or career path, or friendships that we have. What do we have that God has blessed us with that we can use for His sake and not just our own? How can I use those things to bless other people, to encourage them in their faith, to build up God's church, to glorify the name of Jesus? And notice how varied it is from person to person. So in the the parable, one is given five bags, millions and millions and millions of pounds. One is given two bags, you know, maybe a couple of million. One is given one, just maybe a million or maybe under a million. But that doesn't matter because God is not saying, I want all of you to return with exactly 10 million pounds. No, he's not chasing volume. He wants faithfulness. God wants faithfulness from his people. He wants us to be faithful servants or slaves of Jesus Christ, people who belong not to ourselves, but to the Lord those who want to serve Him first and not ourselves, to use what we have been given by God to build His church and His kingdom. And for some, that's going to mean, you know, being given five bags, 10 bags, 20 bags, huge amounts to touch many lives, impacting the church, not only maybe here, but across the UK, across America, across the whole world maybe you know, a Billy Graham or a a Tim Keller or whoever who just impacts so many people for God's kingdom. But for most, it's not going to look like that. For most of us, it's going to involve faithfully living our lives, quietly perhaps, encouraging one or two here, another one or two there, maybe ministering faithfully to one or two or three or four throughout a decade or two decades, encouraging them closer and closer towards faith in Christ. Maybe it'll just simply involve helping out in our local church here in Ravenhill, supporting the ministries, enabling the Lord's work to carry on. Either way, though, either way, whether you're doing that or the first one that the Tim Kellers and the Billy Grahams of the world do, It doesn't matter because at the end of our days, God's not going to lift up this person and say, right, what have you all got in comparison to him? Or what have you all got in comparison to her? What she's done is so great. What have you done? None of that. He's going to simply say, what have you done? And if you've been faithful, it's not about volume. If you've been faithful, he will declare you to be good and faithful. It's abundantly clear, isn't it, that Jesus does not want us to be like the third slave in the story. The master's not impressed with him. Instead of declaring him good and faithful, he declares him wicked and lazy in verse 26. And what does Jesus do? The master in this story, he doesn't give to him more. He doesn't say, come in and share in my happiness, he says, take his bag away. He cannot be trusted. He cannot be trusted with what I've given him. Folks, how are we waiting 
for Christ's return? Are we living our lives in light of eternity that, let me tell you, is coming? Or are we not? Are we getting on with the here and now, not thinking too much about what might lie ahead? That's a real fear that I have, and I'm sure many of you have for your loved ones, your brothers or sisters, your best friend, whoever it might be, who just doesn't seem to get it, who doesn't know the Lord, and just doesn't seem to care. The fear is that so many people are devoting their time building up earthly treasure or soaking up earthly experience, maybe chasing freedom and fun in all of the wrong places. It's a huge temptation in our culture today. But Jesus urges his followers to live differently to the patterns of this world, to focus primarily not on this kingdom of earth, but on that kingdom of heaven on things that are not temporal, rather things that are eternal. I wonder, how is he calling you to serve him in your life? I wonder, what resources has God the Father given you to use to glorify him? And I wonder, are you willing to serve Christ first and not yourself, or even your family, or even your employer, or whoever. Those things are good to do, of course, but are you willing to serve Christ first? And just one final thing to mention very quickly. Remember, we don't do any of this to earn God's favor. It is not the case that you get up to those pearly gates at the end of your days here, And Jesus only asks you one question, what have you done with the resources I've given you? Oh, far from it, far from it. Jesus is not saying this is the key to eternal life, to using the resources that I've given you to build the church, absolutely not. Rather, he's saying true faith, true committed faith in Christ doesn't just accept his sacrifice on the cross and then carry on with the busyness of life, never considering him again. Rather, true faith looks like the slave who has his eye on his master's return. The one who has trusted in Jesus to take away our sin and then who wants to live a life that is faithful to him. Our salvation is never earned by service. It is given only by Jesus Christ as a gift and it comes through faith in him alone. But as we put our faith in him, we are so transformed by the Holy Spirit who lives in here, who makes his home in our hearts. And so we are led then toward a life of faithful living. Folks, that's the only question today. Do you trust in Christ for your sin in your heart that he'll remove it, deal with it for you on the cross? And then the follow-up question is, are you living as a good and faithful servant of his? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us so clearly and fills us with such challenge. Your word that is alive and real living like that double-edged sword. It penetrates our souls. Father, today, would you help all of us to look inward?
to question ourselves, to question our motives, to question our lifestyles, to question how we're living, not to run away from those questions. Father, would you help us in our daily living to have one eye on our master's return, that we might see that Jesus is coming back. Lord, help us to live our lives in light of eternity, not just swept up by the culture of the day and what's happening around us or what might happen in 10 years or 20 years. Rather, let us think about what's happening in a thousand years. Father, equip us to live as good and faithful servants who not only look after the resources that you've given us, but use them then to build, to build the church for your sake. Father, would you lead us and guide us, we pray. And always would you help us to trust in Christ, the only one who offers salvation for our souls, the salvation that we can never earn. We thank you for the cross and what Jesus did for us there. Renew our faith in him today, we pray in his name. Amen.